Thank you, Luena, for those songs. Also, Dave, thank you for what you shared. I was actually struck by how many things lined up together um, this morning. I had to think of what Calvin said they talked about in the men's Sunday school class about division and understanding where we stand in Christ. And then thinking about the, how Dave, it kind of tied into Dave's and that these people went out and then God created divisions amongst the enemies. And so they, they were divided and they fought against each other and they were separated. And sadly, that does happen in our churches sometimes where we fight against each other. And yet God used that in that position. And thinking of these songs that Lewina um, shared with us, I just think especially of that last one, the, this idea of Christ holding on to us. And through the years, I have been amazed at how one person can find something incredibly valuable where somebody else doesn't. I have driven by houses where I have seen things out in the yard that it was obvious that the things that were left out in the yard were not bought or purchased by the person that left them out there. It's like, you know, a person that works really hard and, and goes through a lot of trial and tribulation or turmoil to get these items, they would never have left it out there. And, and this song about Jesus holding us fast, one of the things that struck me was how high the price was that he paid for us. And if somebody pays that high of a price, if that, that cost is so great, he doesn't just leave us out there on our own. He cares for us and he, he loves us and he wants us to be with him. I'd like to speak out of Second uh, Peter this morning. I've been kind of working through Second Peter in the last several messages. And as I have done this, I have been touched. God has touched me in different ways and has shown me different things out of these passages. And it's, it's, it's fun to listen to what someone who walked with Jesus and who knew Jesus intimately, what he felt like was important. And what he wanted to share with those that were to come behind. And I had, I had worked down through, and we were down to um, verse 12. And it says, this is Second Peter uh, chapter 1, starting at verse 12. For this reason, and when I, when I read that, I said, well, I can't just start there where somebody says, for this reason. Well, we got to go back to the reason, right? Or back to what he was talking about. And so I jumped back up to verse 5, and it said, but also for this very reason, which means we have to go back farther. And so we're going to be going back to the beginning of the chapter, and we're going to read it down um, to verse 12. This isn't very long, so it's not a real long passage, but we'll go ahead and start at verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. He starts out saying who, he's going to who he is talking to, and he's saying, I'm speaking to believers, those people that believe on Christ, that believe on Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And then it continues on, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue, by which you have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness. And he's saying that because of the promises, these great and precious promises that are given to us, then we should do these things. These things should come from it. It's like if you know that you have a destination and you know that there are great things there, you should work toward that destination. You should work to get to that area, to that place. 
We've been, my wife and I have been watching a show called Alone over the last little while. And it's interesting, it's on a history channel, but it's where they put these people out in the wilderness alone by themselves and they see how long they can last. And the person that can last the longest all alone by themselves trying to find their own food and find their own water and, and build shelter and all that stuff, and they do that, they put them out there to see who can last the longest. Well, we're into, um, I think it's season four, but in this season what they do is they take two people. So even though it's called alone, it's not really alone, but what they do is they place one of them in a certain position and they place another one about 10 miles away in incredibly rough terrain. And they tell the person that is in, this, in the middle of this incredibly rough terrain, they give them a compass and a bearing and they say, you have to find your partner. So they're just dropped in the middle of, in this case, it's Vancouver Island, which is an incredibly rainy, forested, mountainous terrain. And they're like, you need to go. This is the bearing to where your partner is. They're going to be there. They're going to try to shut up, set up a shelter. You need to get there. Here's the bearing on the compass. And so these people are, are in the middle of nowhere trying to go this 10 miles. And you would think this would go really, really quickly. Like, I would think 10 miles. I mean, how long could it take? to hike 10 miles. Maybe a day? I mean, I can run an eight-minute mile. So, I mean, I sh you know, you could do eight times 80 minutes. I mean, an hour and a half, you can be there. But as you watch this and you see these people struggle with this idea of trusting a compass, trusting on where they're going to end up, knowing what that future holds and trying to work toward it. Some people are very exact and they'll, you know, they'll come to a pond or a river and they'll try to set up a place so that they can go then to the other side of the river and look back and see where they're going. And some just kind of, oh, it's kind of in that rough direction. I'll kind of head in that general direction over there and I'll meet them. And yet he's saying here, Peter is saying here that because of the promise, just like these people are seeking that promise of, of getting to be where their partner is, just as those people are, he's saying, look, we have a promise. We have a promise that one day we will dwell with God. We have this great and precious promise. And what we are trying to do is we're trying to get there. And if we're trying to get there, there's a certain steps that have to be made to achieve that. There's a certain work that has to be done. And this work is not something where we're building a house. Instead, this work is something that has to happen in our lives. And so he continues, I'm going to start there in verse 5 once again, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins." Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then we get finally to where we were going for today, which is for this reason. I, will not be I would not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. Paul, Peter says here, he says, these are kind of my last words. If I had some last words, I think of people on their deathbed where they want to give their children something to hold on to or to something to, they have something really important that they want to tell them. And I, I see Peter here saying, look, there's going to come a point where I am gone from you. I'd like to give you something to hold on to. 
something to remember, something that will help guide you upon this journey, something that will allow you to achieve the end result and to grab a hold of those great and precious promises. He says, I want to give you something to hold on to. You know, I think of that compass that is given to those people that are trying to trek across the wilderness. They have it. They have, they have it, but you have to trust it. And I can tell you from experience, it is not easy to trust a compass, especially if you haven't used one a lot. We were in, uh, on Aquachink, which was up in Canada in the wilderness. And one day, we, were actually camp- we actually hiked back to this lake. And on the way back, we were told we were supposed to follow our compass to get back to where we had started. And we were given a heading. And you start heading off after, on this compass heading, and as you're walking along, you're like, you know, I'd, I've been there before. I'm pretty sure this thing's off just a little bit. I think we need to go a little bit farther to the left. It is very hard to trust a compass if you haven't practiced with a compass. And we hadn't. It was my first experience of trying to do something like that. And believe it or not, I am sad to say this, I did not trust that compass completely. And I went a bit farther off to the right than what I should have because I was pretty sure that this path that I was on, I remembered being on it, and it was the right one. And followed this path back, I ended up running up against a, a lake and realized that I was off the mark by about half a mile at the end. And I, I got to thinking, what made in my mind this idea that I knew better than something that was pointing to a specific spot? What, what kind of pride or what kind of... What was in my mind It made me think I knew better than this compass? And then this, one of the things that Peter is trying to say is, I've got something for you that will help guide you, that will help direct you. Listen to what I have to say. This I find important, or this is what Peter found to be incredibly important. I'm reading again there in verse 12. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth, yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. He's saying, I'm not just going to tell you about this. I'm not just going to leave it to you in words alone. I'm also going to write this down so you guys remember it later. And those that come behind me will also remember what I found to be important. I'm going to leave a legacy. I'm going to leave something that behind that others can see as a beacon. And what is this that he wants to leave behind? What are these words he wants to say? Starting in verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. What is he saying? He said, I want to remind you of the things that happened to us. I want to remind you about the things that we have told you about. I also want to remind you that God's word is not something that is a cunningly devised fable. This isn't something that we sat around together and we dreamed up in some upper room. This isn't something that we we cooked up just to make you guys feel good. This is something that is a promise that you can hold on to. And you don't have to be fearful because you can see where it will end up. You can see 
that what he says is true. You can see that when people live this way, when people follow after God, that there is in their life something that you can get a hold of. There is a promise that we can trust in our almighty God. And how can we do that? Because we know that he loves us and that he cares for us. Continuing on in verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. He's saying that these, this word that we have came from God, and people spoke because the Holy Spirit placed it upon them. This is not just something that some person saw and said on their own. This is something that is inspired. We can hold on to this. We can hold on to this light that is in this dark place because we know where we're going, because we have the promise, that great and precious promise that leads us toward them. I had to think of this because as in this show, you would think this 10 miles, well, well, on the outside, maybe two or three days. But as the days drag by, the person that is sitting in one place starts to wonder, what's going on out there? Are they all right? Is my partner okay? And the person that is out there trying to follow this compass is like, am I ever going to get there? They don't know how far away the person is. So they don't know if it's five miles, if it's 10 miles, if it's 50 miles. They're just out trekking up and down these ravines and across little rivers. And it, it, it's taking them an incredible amount of time. They're trying to shut up shelter in the evenings. And they're on this journey. And it, it was amazing. The, the first set of people to come together, it took about nine days. Nine days. And when they came together, you would not believe the rejoicing that those two people had when they finally heard the other person yelling and, and saw them and met them. There was a rejoicing that occurred. There was an excitement. They were so happy to be together. The per- first, the person that was, that was on the journey and didn't really know if he was going to end up at the right place, but then also the one that was welcoming them to this place that they had built, this structure that they had that was, that was more permanent. It has really made me think of our journey with God, that sometimes we get off the path. We get off of following after what God has given us, this truth that is in his word. And instead, we think we can do it on our own. We know better than what is left to us, that some other man has written. And instead, we lose the fact that what is here in Scripture is not just written by men, but it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it is given to us for life. And the truth is in his word. But that reunion that occurred at the end, that, that coming back together and that excitement, I mean, they're, they're crying and they're holding on to each other. I have to say, it really made me think about what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. We have a heavenly father that loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for us. He suffered All the things that we suffer. He's been through the trials and the temptations that we go through. He has experienced our hardships. He's experienced our our failings and our fallings. He He knows what it's like 
to walk through this life. He knows what it's like to be rejected. And now that he's on the other side and he has left us a witness, he's waiting for us. And when we join him, when we meet him in that time and place, there is going to be a rejoicing that I don't think we have any idea what it's going to be like. And as I look at this, I realize that even though fear is something that is very easy to come into our lives, if we understand that He is our refuge, He is our place, and our place in time of trouble, we'll continue to go on this journey and to follow His word as we should. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we recognize your power in our lives. We also recognize that you have prepared a place for us, that we have this great and precious promise of what is coming. And that even when we look at our lives and realize that they are in some ways drawing to a close, we don't know when that moment will be when you will call us to yourself. But we do know that as we follow your word and as we come to know you in a more personal relationship, that that moment when we go home will not be a time of sorrow, but will be a time of rejoicing. It will be a time of freedom and excitement, a time of happiness as we procure this promise. In Jesus' name, amen. You notice in your bulletin calls for Caleb to be here, and I'm not Caleb. Um, I'm serving as a substitute, and probably have heard the story of what a substitute is. So I'll try to be that right now. Um, appreciate Josh's words to us this morning, and also what Dave had to say as far as praying for our country, praying for our world, and recognizing that revival starts in me. I'm, I'm where I need to be concerned about most of all. That's not self-centeredness, but it's awareness that I am responsible for myself.